Computer, initialize Holosuite. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 17, Playing God. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and as I say every week, you should find us and follow us because we are a riot. We are a good time, and I promise that it is mainly Trek. I don't stem very far from allowing other things to be posted that aren't Trek-related, so uh, yeah, if you're worried about like politics and whatever, getting involved in it, we don't do that. The closest we get is like 90s cultural reference, so if you're, <laughs> still, you're still hung up about things that happened in the 90s, then uh, yeah, we, we have a, you have a whole other set of problems. Um, yeah. But any, anyway, I was trying to think of a smart comment, make some yeah. sort of politically relevant comment. But early '90s, I don't have any good references. I mean, that's the beauty of it. Like, who really does? Like, at this point, we're all just history students of that era. Like, yeah. we weren't we weren't alive really to be like fully uh, like. Oh, I was I a toddler. A part of it, was, right? Yeah. <laughs> like I was. I mean, I was a kid, but you know, yeah. like everything. I mean, I depended on my parents for everything. You know, parents, grandparents, family. Members. Like I, I couldn't say. I think the gas prices are outrageous. Like who cares? <laughs> I, I'm not paying for anything at, at those stages. Exactly. You know? so, yeah. 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 So, but yeah. Uh, other than that, we're we're a good time. Yep. Yep. So as David said, tonight we are here to talk about the episode Playing God from Star Trek Deep Space Nine's second season. Um, can't believe we're this deep in the second season so fast. It seems like, it almost seems like it took forever to get through the first season, and now here we are just about to wrap up the second. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm excited. will be gone. Yeah. Right. I'm excited, <laughs> man. Yeah. Um, but of course, before we get into all that, David, how was your week? It was fine. It's a little slow. Um, work this week has been, well, for the last several weeks, actually, has been kind of slow. But it picked up nicely yesterday in preparation for the Memorial Day holiday. So looking forward to making some money with the, uh, adva- uh, you know, just higher amount of traffic. Um, but the one thing that um, I really just did this week that this episode kind of made me think of a little bit more as, you know, I've been reading more of the Dune books, more of the ones that his son, Brian Herbert, uh, has been writing um this one is set in between the second and third books of the main series so it's set between uh dune messiah and the children of dune uh it's okay. called the winds of dune um and it's again i i've enjoyed these books i don't think they're quite to the level as the originals on some level but they're still enjoyable in their own right um but there are aspects of the dune universe that this episode uh, i think kind of tied in a little bit too so when we get to those elements i'll I'll say a little bit more but uh yeah just it's been fun just getting back into that dune universe there are still man they they, he and his co-writer who i can't remember at the moment um they have written so many extra books in the series that i still have at least six no eight i think it's actually eight books left 
uh, still to read from their expanded Dune universe, um, which I plan on doing, but that's quite a lot. <laughs> so that's that's it? That's that's the expanded universe of Dune? I feel like there are so many more of those books. Oh, no, I I'm swear. saying I have, eight, I have eight left. I've already oh. read, like, gosh, at least six. I've read at least six of them. No, I've read seven of them at this point. So that means I'm only halfway through with the expanded book series uh, as they currently stand. There's one not yet out uh, called the, I think, Heir of of Caladan, which is set before the original Dune storyline. It's part of a trilogy, the Dune of Caladan, the Lady of Caladan, and then the Heir of Caladan about the events right before Dune happens. Um, But those are the most recent ones, and that's still... Those are still books. I don't. I, those are, like I'll read those last in terms of the eight I still have left to read. But uh, yeah, I look forward to it because they're they're well written overall. the The one critique I would have for them is that they answer questions that it sometimes it's almost like you don't need to have answered. So, for example, the book I'm reading now has a focus in part on a character called Bronzo of Ix, who, if, if you've read Dune Messiah, you might remember that the the very opening prologue of Dune Messiah opens up with Bronzo of Ix is a historian who has been interrogated or is being interrogated in the opening uh, chapter, if you will, about um, his his historical perspective on Paul, the main character of the Dune book, and how he uh, is a, quote, heretic. And that character is allowed to just be kind of mysterious and interesting in this in, in Dune Messiah, but this book, The Winds of Dune, answers the question about who he is, where he comes from, what's his relationship with other characters in the series, which is fine in its own way, but um, by answering those questions, it takes away the mystery the character had in the original novel. So there's something gained, something lost to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily a bad choice, but um, I don't think. So let me put it this way. The book Dune Messiah does not need these questions answered to be interesting and compelling. But if you're someone who likes reading and just to have, you know, what's the expanded universe answer to some of those questions? Well, Brian Herbert uh, has answered those questions. So, so yeah, I can see what you're saying there. It kind of takes away some of the mystery too, some of the wonder that you get after you finish reading a book and you just kind of get that moment where you kind of let your mind wander about characters that might have piqued your curiosity a bit and what might have happened to them afterwards. And then suddenly to have somebody give you an answer, right. is it ever really as fulfilling as the as the musing that you did? Right, exactly. You know, sometimes follow-ups to certain characters is not necessary. Right. I, I feel that. Yeah. yeah. I feel that way about the prequel Star Wars trilogy. Like, I think that the, the prequel Star Wars trilogy has some merit. It asks mm-hmm. questions about how would a dictatorship come about, for example. Um, but by answering questions about who Darth Vader is, I think many people agree that some of those answers were ones that they didn't like. Um, yeah. So, like, who was Anakin as a ten-year-old? I didn't need to know that. <laughs> well, there's yeah. Something I mean, that. there's something to be said about characters that have an air of mystery about their history, right? Um, and the appeal of those characters. You know, yeah. uh, a villain being complex and evil, and us not knowing necessarily the full extent of why they're so complex and evil is um, a great feat of good writing and storytelling that we did not have to watch literally every moment from birth to now of this character to understand their motivations. We got that because it was communicated well. But then when you go back and try to like explain everybody and make them not so much a villain as much as they are a 
supreme victim of tragedy, it it robs you of the enjoyment of a really good villain. Right. You know, and I think that's a, a failing that a lot of it's a trope that we see in especially in a lot of sci-fi this desire to go back and kind of explain away why the villain is the villain oh they're right. not really that bad they're not it's not they're not the black to the white they're the definite shade of gray why yeah exactly it's okay for somebody to totally exist in this darkness in my opinion yes. like i don't need to know that their motivation was because they're they watched their mother stabbed 39 times in front of them and <laughs> they grew up with this intense yeah. hatred of abusive authoritative regimes and now you know they've lived long enough to witness themselves become the monster and what ah right. yeah way too convoluted for no reason can it just be that he's evil because he likes being evil yeah it's, that's fine that's exactly fine. yeah exactly um so yeah i've <laughs> i i i think it's sometimes worthwhile to maybe examine those things but if you if you let me put it this way, if you don't give your audience a really good story, you undermine what you had before. And so I, I feel like these Dune books, on the whole, have been okay. But there have certainly been moments throughout the series, these these expanded universe books, where I felt like, yeah, if I had written that, I'd have written that differently. If I had done, I, I think this storyline wasn't at its best here. Um, yeah. So yeah. Summarize it up. Great yeah. overall, but critiques I could give it. And I would say, again, like, there are times when that kind of deep dive on a villain is warranted and it works. I just feel like lately it seems to be overplayed. Everybody does it. No one's villain is truly a villain anymore. And I kind of miss that. I wish you could just, like, every so often it would be great if a show just popped up with somebody being like, I'm evil because I like being mean. It's fun. (laughs) Exactly. You know, like, that'd be their whole motivation from the, from, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason the Joker as a character is not meant to have an origin story. Like every time they've right. gone, like I don't like the origin story they have that where he was this, you know, comedian who was down on his luck and one day got dapped, dropped in a bucket of chemicals and came out with white skin and green hair. I don't like that. It's the Killing Joke uh, comic. Yeah. And the Killing Joke has some great moments in it, don't get me wrong, but the whole idea that we're going to explain the Joker's backstory, uh-uh, no. The whole idea is that he is just this elemental evil <laughs> to which batman's is, level of goodness yeah yeah and you're bringing up you're kind of leeching into my other uh another thing that i hate which is the endless prequel this desire yeah. to to retell origin stories like i've seen the batman origin story so many <laughs> times like it's okay guys to move forward like th- this desire to like jump I've, backwards I've, in the storyline but perry i don't remember me. what happens i need someone to tell me was it was it batman's uncle who said with great power comes great responsibility or was that was that that else? was um <laughs> excuse me that was clearly gandalf so i don't know what your problem is yeah oh that reminds me of the uh, the meme i sent you you remember it was the one <laughs> yes. that said, uh the the use the force, Harry Gandalf, and it was a picture of Picard. Stewart, right? <laughs> Absolutely, had to piss off four groups of nerds. I believe that's that exactly that it. Called. That's what it was. Yeah, it was great. Oh man! Wow, we went really off. Uh, but let's ask hey, about you. What's up with you? What's going on? I, you were telling me about uh, something in your life, and then I was like, "No, yeah. save it for the save it for everyone." So go ahead. So a couple of things, like ever, as I've said multiple times, I've been on this kind of journey to you know get myself into better shape, better health, all that other kind of stuff, you know. And I, you know, I was actually talking about that with some coworkers, and my uh, boss told me that our 
our, my job has this great program that uh, they allow you to enroll in and they give you all of this you know, like great coaching on you know nutrition and workouts and, and all kinds of this different stuff and give you not just like tips and tricks but also give you some like equipment you know like a, a digital scale that will automatically when you weigh yourself it automatically transmits that to a um, like an Excel worksheet so you can like track your um, your weight progression. Okay. And it has, um, you know, you, there's a pedometer app you can sell on your phone, so it tracks your steps, and then you can, you know, input your meals either by just typing it in or taking a picture, like all this stuff, right? And she was telling me that not only is it a great program for people who, in a, you know, in a way don't really know how to get started or don't know how to continue, kind of hit that point of consistency, this is a great way to do that, and it also comes with the added benefit of you get a little break on your insurance costs. Uh, if you if you enroll in the program and you stay enrolled in the program. So, of course, I was like, yeah, sign me up because anything that's going to give me more money back, I'm going to do. And you're going to help me get in shape like no brainer. <laughs> so I signed up for that. Today was officially the first day I received all my equipment, and everything, got all that stuff set up. And then I had to hit my step count for the day. And that was a doozy. And yeah. it led to me and my daughter. We got up pretty early, had breakfast and all that. And then we went for a hike. And we, I did hit my step count. However, I did it completely by accident. Oh. And yes. And by accident, I mean, because we went to the park and I, we ended up getting lost. I, I should say I got lost because, of course, my daughter, she's going to follow me because right. she's my kid. So I got lost. And then in my, you know, trying to get us back, it took us way longer. So by the time we actually got back to the safety zone and the car and everything like that, we had hit the step, uh, the step limit, and then some. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Did they give you a jump start on the next round of steps. Well, it it no, it does not. It did not give me a jump start because we were like, yeah, I was like sense. just a hundred <laughs> steps shy. So by the time we like drove home and parked and walked back, and then we're like, you know, I checked the mail and whatever else. So by the time all that was done, I had hit the right. step count. But the majority of that was wandering around, lost in the park. Right. Um, so yeah, but it did clue me in on just, you know, how ridiculous it is. Cause it's essentially three miles a day, right. You know, is what you're, is what they're wanting you to do. And I was like, I don't think I've ever really walked three miles a day, um, before, but, um, it was nice. Don't get me right. wrong. We had some great pictures. My daughter hopped across, you know, this river embankment, you know, we got all that. So it was a great time out. But at the same time, I was like, man. Didn't realize it was going to be like this. So trying to work that in every day with everything else is going to be interesting. But I'm I'm excited to have this other tool to use to do it. Gotcha. Um, but in other news, while we were gone, like, so before we left, got a notice that there was something going on with the water in this area. So they had turned off the water and they were like, it's going to be down short time while they fix whatever the issue is. So that was another thing that prompted me to get us out to go to go to our hike and everything because I was like, we, you know, get out of the house and don't have to worry about it. Right. Got back and everything was then, you know, fixed and whatever. They were like, you know, run your water um, for a little while and then you should be good to go. Like They recommended running the water or at least 
being careful of water use for the next hour or so. So I, you know, I came in, I turned everything on. I didn't notice anything like our water wasn't like a weird color or weird smell or anything. It seemed fine, but still just out of a sense of caution, I did, um, uh, run everything. And then of course I was throwing out the ice. Now here's the thing. One, I love ice. I I have it in, like, every drink, always. Okay, yeah. And then, two, like, because the way that, you know, ice lines work, you know, it's not streaming water as regularly as if you were to, like, turn on your faucet or whatever, right? Oh, right, of course, yeah. So so I'm I'm intensely paranoid about the ice. So all day, (laughs) I've just been throwing out ice. Like, it would build up a little bit, and I would just throw it out. Then finally, just before we started tonight, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to go ahead and trust it. And the first... New ice cubes from what I now deemed as safe water. Keep in mind, the notice came out at like 7 in the morning. They had everything fixed by like 11.30 uh, in the morning. And I was still throwing out ice all day. So probably an overreaction, but who knows. But finally got the first ice cubes. And I'm still sitting here like, "Uh, does this taste funny? (laughs) You're looking at them right now, aren't you? (laughs) Right, right. I'm staring at my glass. You're like, you know what? I kind of want to throw this out. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm not going to. I need to get over my fear right here. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's ridiculous, like how how things affect you and stick in your brain the way that they do, you know, and like yeah. this is just one of those things. Like, again, I'm sure anybody else looking at me have been like, your ice was fine hours ago. What's wrong with <laughs> you? But I have not not been able to trust it. So right. there is that. I did work a little bit more on my Star Trek uh, my Enterprise built, the Starship Enterprise, this huge, massive thing from Eagle Moss that I've been getting pieces of month by month. Yeah. I did some more work on that. And so maybe at the end of this season, do a little reveal to show, you know, basically the build so far and let everybody see where I am with all of the kits and everything like that. I have to admit, I have really been enjoying uh, putting it together. Sometimes it's a bit more complicated because like the pieces, the way they come and they've been all tied up in their compressed boxes and plastic and everything else for so long that, you know, you're trying to lay down like the wires and stuff. And of course, none of that wants to just stay. So figuring out little tips and tricks to make that work. I've watched a couple of YouTube videos of other people also doing the build and seeing that I'm not the only one struggling with some of these things also makes me immensely happy and, and calms me down to make, to make sure I'm like not making a mistake or whatever. So I've enjoyed that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's essentially it. We've got this coming week is the final week of school for my recently graduated first grader. She is so excited because now this is like party week for them. You know, they still have to go to school, but they graduated Friday. So why are we still going? I don't know. But they've got until Thursday is their last day. So this is all just them cleaning out lockers and backpacks and everything else and uh, having candy and cake and whatever other nonsense they do until Thursday. And then I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with my kid for the next two months. So I've thought about implementing my own version of like a makeshift Starfleet Academy (laughs) just to, just to give us both something to do and keep us both engaged while we go through these next two very, very hot months here in Texas. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's only going to get hotter. Oh, that's what I hear, and I mean that's that's what I'm hearing nationwide that we're looking at possibly the the hottest summer on record now. Well, I mean correct- literally, it's only May right now. <laughs> yeah, and I mean correct well, I me if I'm wrong though. It. We yeah. we we hear this every year though. They say I feel like they say this every year. At least since I've been in Texas these past you know ten 
10 years, I think I've been here now. Yeah. They always say that. Hardest summer on record. Hardest summer on record. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, it seems like we're shattering the record every year. So can't we just say it's a hot summer? Like, stop saying <laughs> it's the hottest one yeah. until it's over anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we've already had some 90 plus days. And like you said, it's just now May, you yeah. know. So we'll see what uh, June and July, because those are always the, our, our hottest months. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. But exactly, good we'll find out. Yeah. But anyway, we are not here to talk about us, at least not to this great detail. <laughs> uh, we are here to talk about again Star Trek: Deep Space Nine in the episode "Playing God." So yeah. I did give the quick summation last week, David. Do you want to do it for us this week? Sure, let's do it. All right, guys. So, again, this is an episode playing God. This episode opens with a Trill initiate named Arjun uh, arriving on Deep Space Nine with uh, Dr. Bashir. Uh, they ended up traveling together. Uh, Arjun has come to uh, be an initiate, a trick and a Trill initiate under Dax, uh, Jadzia Dax. She is going to determine or at least uh, contribute to de- uh, determining whether or not Arjun will be a Trill host to a, uh, a, a symbiote in the future. So uh, his coming to the station is uh, a little nerve-wracking for Arjun because his understanding of the Dax symbiote or of previous Dax hosts, particularly uh, Curzon, is that uh, Curzon Dax was a very harsh Trill initiate uh, boss, I don't know how you want to say it, uh, trainer, uh, he said no to many people, and so when he found, when Arjun found out that Dax was going to be the one he was going to be the initiate for, he was not pleased. He had tried actually getting someone else, but that didn't work out. So he's come to the station to meet Jadzia and get her input on whether or not he should become a host to a symbiote for one of the Trill candidates. So um, Arjun. Uh, Meets up with her and immediately, Jods. This is again. I'm, I just want to say this right now. This is a Jodzia Dax episode, so I was so happy we finally yes. get this now, uh, stuff from her. Did you want to say something? Go ahead. I just want to say, do your submission, please, because uh, yeah, we got to get to it. Yeah, yeah, we gotta get, yeah, yeah. Um, so to give a generalization, um, Dax in all of these first initial moments uh, that Arjun meets Jodzia Dax. She is playing uh, playing with the Ferengi at their... Domjot. No, not Domjot. Yes. Uh, Dabo. Is it Dabo? I thought it was the other no, one. No, it's Tongo. It's Tongo. Tongo. That's right. Yeah, Tongo. Jesus. Yeah. Man, I which was all we, over the place. Which we saw Jadzia playing on the episode Rules of Acquisition. So this is like a follow-up to that opening scene in that episode, too. Um, and when they... Uh, the next morning when he goes to meet her, she is, uh, you know, dressed only in a towel and... Her uh, her partner for the night is leaving, um, and so he was they... her wrestling coach. She wrestles in the morning. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure that's part of it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so they uh, they are going to go through the wormhole together, and while they're going through the wormhole, uh, Jadzia talks to him, and he explains that he's a level five pilot. His father. Uh, wanted him to become a Trill candidate after his sister uh, even you know, ran away to get married to avoid becoming a Trill candidate. And his dad didn't even talk to his sister ever again. So then on his, his dying last words to his son were, I want you to become uh, a Trill candidate. So he's here because his dad wanted him to be. Um, but he doesn't really know what kind of future he wants for 
himself as a as a trio candidate, whether or not he really wants to go forward with it, what he would do if he was actually able to uh, get a symbiote for himself. Uh, while he and Jadzia are going through the wormhole, and Jadzia is telling him about her own experience and how she's not the same as Curzon exactly, uh, their right side nacelle, their starboard nacelle, is damaged when it captures a something that they can't quite determine what it is. When they go back to the station, they uh, are able to determine that this is a energy source, and over time they realize that this seems to be its own mini-universe. Um, as in, like, it's its own universe, it's growing and expanding, and as it grows and expands, it could threaten their reality. It could threaten, I guess, the Alpha Sector, effectively. So mm -hmm. they are going to have to find a way to get rid of and destroy this mini-universe. But before they are able to make any decisive action to destroy this mini-universe, they realize, or at least Jadzia does, that this mini-universe probably has life in it. And that means that they can't destroy it. They need to find a way to uh, get it back to the wormhole. But as it expands, it becomes more and more dangerous uh, for them to be in contact with it. Um, so that's our main plot. Meanwhile, O'Brien is trying to deal with Cardassian voles, which are basically, I guess, six-legged rat-like creatures <laughs> that keep getting right. into the wiring of things. Um, he does determine that, or he does come up with a device, like a sonic device, that when he tries it <laughs> in the presence of Quark, Quark's, you know, screams in pain because his ears are so affected by it. Um, that becomes really a secondary issue later on as they have to deal with this expanded universe. Now, um, our, uh, Arjun says to Dax, um, well, so Dax comes in at one point and says, I'm worried about you. From what you told me, I'm not sure if you're going to be a good candidate as a Trill host. So he gets very upset, and he basically yells at her and says that you are irresponsible and you are a terrible host um you know you shouldn't have become a host yourself um i don't take your take you seriously and goes straight to corks to drown himself in some synth ale and cork comes along and gives him some bad advice as he always does um but later on as jadzia needs to solve the whole issue with the expanding universe she goes to him and says hey look when i was young jadzia and i wasn't dax yet um I failed as an initiate or under Curzon Dax. Uh, he was her trainer. And even though she was doing very well in the schooling aspect of things, Curzon failed her. But that actually drove her to be even more persistent and ultimately successful in becoming an uh, accepted candidate as a Trill host. And when Curzon died, she actually actively pursued the Dax symbiote as hers that she would get. And she did ultimately get that. And she thinks that Curzon would have found that to be a um, ironic, dark humor-ish uh, kind of I ironic situation. You know, he was the one who failed her, and she's the one who uh, got his symbiote. Um, so she convinces Arjun to join her on the runabout that's going to take this universe back through the wormhole, because that is what Cisco decides is the best solution to the situation. We can't destroy new new life, even if it's just ants, like Kira suggests. They're just ants, destroying ants. Um, he thinks about the time when the... Um, uh, what are they? The, 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 um, 
the Borg, when the Borg um, mm-hmm. came and attacked Earth and how, you know, he lost his family. They had right. no regard for life in their own way. He would be acting similar to them if he also disregarded this, uh, you know, new universe and its potential life. So they go into the wormhole, Jadzia and Arjun go into the wormhole, and the field that they have surrounding this little universe fails. And so they have to very cautiously move through the wormhole, which Arjun is successful at doing with the help of Jadzia. And they get to the other side of the wormhole, and somehow that's the solution. The episode just kind of lets it go at that point, which I don't think makes any sense at all. But we're going to let the episode have its way just for the moment. And they return. Arjun apologizes to Dax uh, for his outburst earlier, and she says that, hey, maybe, uh, maybe he would be a good candidate eventually when he's ready. So, yeah. Right. There we go. Yes. So, great summation for the episode there. Um, I just wanted you to do the summation and not comment on Dax. Get into the comment on (laughs) Dax. Yeah. Because, I mean, as you said, like, this is a Dax episode, and we have been asking for more focus on Dax uh, since. Since the beginning. And you know, the reason the reason is, and I, it's twofold. One, it's my fault, because I know that I built Dax up as a great character, and very excited about the development of this character, and then we've seen none of it. And then on top of that, the show kind of teases that there is so much more to this character, and yet they constantly fail to deliver yeah. until now. Right. You know? And then all of a sudden, they give us so much that you almost have to watch this episode twice to catch everything. She wrestles with, I don't know what kind of alien that is that she was wrestling with, but apparently that's what she does in the morning. She tells Arjun when he comes in, you know, that it's a great way to, you know, wake up and start your day and get, you know, energized and everything else. Um, Apparently she's very casual because the guy was in her quarters and here she comes out of the shower in the towel everything else now i mean of yeah. course you can intimate that there was more to this wrestling than just wrestling um if you want to but um you know there's obviously we don't we don't see anything so we can't really know um right she doesn't drink coffee in the morning she drinks a ferengi drink called black, black hole that she learned from some ferengi a hundred years ago Yep. You know, and she's still keeping the habit, basically. Um, she's she's all over the place. She loves Klingon food. She sings Klingon opera. Not only does she sing Klingon opera, but she taught the uh, the resident Klingon chef the song that they sing. Is that what he says to her in Klingon? Yes, ah. that's what he says. Well, that's what he says to Arjun at the end. He says she taught me that song. Like, can you imagine? Oh, right. She taught me uh, a Klingon song. And, right. I guess um, I was slightly distracted. I remember I was eating dinner while I was watching this episode. <laughs> I was just distracted in that moment. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah, she taught me that song. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, she says to Arjun in the shuttle, she asked, to pl- she asked the computer to play some exiled Romulan's music. And she talks about how she collects um, for- what she calls forgotten, co- forgotten composers. composers, you know. So she's got such wild tastes and varied tastes and we learned so much about her so quickly and it was great you know this full background of this character suddenly coming to us that we've been watching all this time yes it it. was an information dump of character building yeah it was yeah we've had hints of all this we've had hints that um she likes music uh i think it was the episode melora uh, if we remember Mm -hmm. correctly where she um was talking about uh, music, certain music that she likes. 
And that's also the same episode where we got introduced to the Klingon chef, by the way, um, which was a great introduction to him. He was also willing yes. to sing uh, some uh, some Klingon music in that episode. Um, we've had her playing with the Ferengi, uh, the um, game they play, which uh, is, yeah, Tongo. And, uh, you know, in, I, the way I would say I would describe it is I felt like in previous episodes she was kind of subdued on some level. We get we we have hints that she's more quirky and, um, you know, just more there's more to her character. But this episode, like not only was she like playing Tongo with the Ferengi, but she was also giving them a hard time. Like mm-hmm. she's kind of given them a hard time in the past. But like this time it felt like it was up a notch, like the the more outgoing version of herself was really there. Um, yeah. The, I mean, I, I, she was wrestling with that guy. Great. But when you see her in a towel, all casual, like it's not the wrestling I was thinking of, uh, who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah. And then, you know, when she is telling uh, the, the best part is when she's telling Arjun about what it was like to become, um, one of the Dax, the Dax of you, she talks about, Jadzia in the third person a lot. In yes, she does. Yes, so, she does. She makes a very clear distinction between Jadzia and Dax. Yes, she does it a lot. She switches back and forth, but you know she's also she switches back and forth, and it can almost be confusing. But if you pay attention, she's very distinctive right. about it. Yeah. So it's not to confuse you, but uh, she's kind of making it seem like they're both they're joined, and yet they are separate entities as well. Yes. They had separate experiences. One kind of informs the other. Right. And I, I'm going to try and see if I can remember the quote exactly, but she something, says something to the effect of, like, I'm Jadzia Dax, but I'm not Curzon Dax. I am Dax. Like, she said, like, the emphasis is on the Dax part. Like, the Dax personality is who she is. Not the ja- not the, uh, the Curzon part. Like, she makes a real point, especially at the end of the episode. Uh, she says, you know, I didn't do it Curzon's way, or effectively, you know, Curzon right. had been harsh with her when she had been talking with Cisco about Arjun at one point during the episode, which I didn't talk about. She says, I don't want to do things the way that Curzon did it. Um, I want to do it my own way. Um, and she, at the end of the episode, says that she was successful in doing that when she, you know, talks to herself in the very last scene. You know, I didn't do it his way. But yeah, the whole point of this episode is really to emphasize the Dax element of 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 Dax of Jadzia Dax. So that episode in season one where we had that question of is it Trill the Dax personality or are they the Jadzia personality, like the host versus the symbiote? What's the interplay there? And that mm-hmm. episode was was making the case that they are kind of two separate things. This episode, as I think you hinted at, is really playing up the idea that they are more integrated than maybe we would have really been willing to go or say in the past. Like I really felt like it was Jadzia a lot of times we were felt talking to who had like memories of other people. But in this episode, it's like, no, this is the Dax person. The the Dax personality has really come forth, uh, really for the strongest let to the strongest level for the first time, I would say, so far. I mean we've again we've had hints of it, but this is the real time when Dax shows up. Right. And and she also says to Arjun at one point, you know, that she's you have to make sure that the personality of the host, like in mm. the case of Jadzia, is strong enough to handle the influence of the Dax symbiote. Otherwise, right. the symbiote will overrule you. 
and right. you will you will lose yourself to it. Right. And you know, to me, that makes a lot of sense considering that the symbiont is kind of an amalgam of all of these other past lives and experiences. And right. I could just imagine that over time, that urge, you know, becomes stronger and stronger because it's yeah. again more and more informed by all these personalities building upon itself. Right. And eventually, you might get to a point where you know that might be too much for. Uh, the host to handle if they don't have a strong mindset and constitution. So, right. yeah, I mean, that definitely makes sense to me, um, what she was saying there. Um, one thing I found interesting was how they also played up Arjun as being he's he's so careful and studied and everything that he does is very practiced. And even Dax mentions that, how, you know, they had their moment where she kind of you know, chastises him a little bit and he goes home and, and then she, she, um, or he's, he kind of let himself be a little bit free with her. Yeah. And then he came back the next day and she's kind of chastising him a little bit. And now he's all, well, what I meant to say was, and she's like, I think that you went to your quarters last night, realized that some of what you said might've been problematic. And now you're trying to give me a formulated answer. Yes. She cuts him off before he can really do that. And I think that that was like a great moment because I think people have a tendency to do that in life a little bit. Like when you have oh, yeah. the chance to study and practice, of course you always sound polished, you know, but he, you know, she was showing him that this is not just about being joined, that it is a, it's a complicated process of joining a trill to a symbiote. There is more to it than just a desire to be joined. And right. the fact that he had, he had no plans. He had no ambitions. He had nothing that he wanted to do after being joined. And even to a certain degree, it didn't seem like being joined was his idea. It was his father. Yeah. His father wanted somebody in their family to be joined so badly. He basically cut off all ties with his daughter when she was like, I don't want to do it. Right. And now he had put all of his hopes and dreams on his son. Right. And he even seems like he had no interest in his own son until it was like, you're the only one left. Right. So her challenging him to be like, you need to find out more about yourself and what you want than trying to join for all the wrong reasons. Right. Again, makes total sense to me. Oh, yeah, it totally does. And it, it was interesting that you bring that up because in part you know, what she says at one point, or I guess, no, it's him, who's Arjun, who says it, that's like there are only 300 candidates even accepted. Like the number of people who are allowed to join with a trill is very low. I, mean, I don't know how very many low. potential hosts, you know, you know, trill hosts per se versus the symbiotes there are. But yeah, it's 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 made clear in this episode that yeah, it really is a privilege in the uh, to to be joined to one right. simply because it's so rare. Uh, right. They, yeah. Now we haven't really gotten into the whole why is it so rare. I think we've touched on this before when we've talked about it. Because again, this isn't the first time that joining and uh, the symbiotic relationship has come up for us. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't. We know that they're a symbiotic race. That they both the the symbiont and obviously the trill species evolved on this planet. We don't know if there is are there more trill than there are symbionts. Is it the other way around? Um, why does it seem so complicated that they put these people through a very rigorous process to be joined? Right. We don't know any of these things just yet. But from what we can see from Dax and how seriously they take the joining, um, it leads me to believe that there's probably, like, even though they grew up, they that both of these species evolved on the same planet, there's probably something about them that makes them chemically not able to do this. 
um, as easily as you would think for a for two intelligent species on a planet. And right. then also, um, there's probably some kind of rarity there. Like, uh, there's probably not that many. I'm going to say there's not that many symbionts because considering yes. that essentially the symbiont is immortal as long as it moves into a new host. As far as we know, it never dies. Like Dax keeps saying she's on her like eight or ninth lifetime. We don't know. Every time that she says a number and then she brings up somebody else. So we don't really know how many times this has happened to yeah. this particular symbiont, you know? Right. Yeah. So, um, yes, if that's the case as an immortal species, maybe there's not that many of them. Maybe they don't procreate as as readily as regular trill or humans do or anything like that. So that's the one question that like, I would want to know, like how do symbiotes reproduce? Like, yeah, like basically I, the way I'm kind of thinking at the moment is, you know, if, if in our gut in the human gut is E. Coli, you know, we have bacteria that helps us digest things. Was mm. the symbiote, I mean, the way I'm thinking about it, like was the symbiote was like some sort of almost parasitic slash, you know, beneficial organism that, lived in the you know lived in certain trill at times but uh-huh. you know at some level they realized what it was and like developed the symbiote like actively did so because as we huh. as i as we saw in the first episode of the show you know when when dax was integrated or was given the dax symbiote it was a surgery it wasn't like it was a right. natural process there wasn't some right. sort of it's not like she <laughs> found an egg somewhere and swallowed it and now it's in her no like there's a there's a, a surgery done which is just kind of strange, you know, the idea that this is not there's something artificial about this uh, relationship right. because of, uh, of the surgery. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of you know that would be, that would be an interesting an interesting story to see is how the Trill people became aware of the symbionts and then became aware of implanting them. Like what led to that conversation? Like right. hey. Like, because that's a great point. Like, did this thing, was it already inside them and, se- and at some point separated? Right. Or was it another species like, I don't know, like, like dolphins are here on Earth, right? <laughs> and then, I mean, I, 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 it's an extreme example, but I'm trying right. to think of something that would be on par in t- on the intelligence scale. Yeah. I am, yeah. And, you know, so something like that, that somebody then, you know, realized that there is a way to attach this to them. Right. And it gives them. And then what was the benefit of the first time doing it? Because from what Dax tells us, the what they gain is the knowledge and experience from the previous host. But at some point, there had to be patient zero. Right. Yeah. That's so what, mean, what yeah. did that person gain from doing this for the first time? Like, right. what was the benefit? Only thing I could think of would be there had to be some kind of health benefit to doing this. Right. Initially. But from what we see, once a person is joined, they don't seem any different from humans. Now, yes. could this be because this has been going on for generations? And so whatever that benefit is has diminished over time. Right. Could it be that because the the fact that it's a surgical implant versus the natural way that it used to be, it's diminished whatever that capacity is? Like there are so many unanswered questions about trill joining and trill society in general. Right. But that would be a very interesting one to to explore at some point. Um now I will tell you that other treks like uh, Discovery have retouched on the the Trill story a little bit, but it doesn't give us any of those answers. Right. So while so, they've done some of it, they have not talked about that aspect of it yet. So there has been something in the back of my mind that makes me think about how uh, the the symbiote reproduces, but it's really gross because it's based on <laughs> parasites in the real world. 
I could give a short version of what I'm thinking. So I'm going to go and just like throw it out there. And then you tell me if you want me to think about it anymore. But okay. basically, <laughs> there are parasitic organisms that can force their host body, the host creature, to like help them reproduce. But it's really gross. Basically, they oh, they overtake the host body and they they force them to do things they're not supposed to. Um, so part of my brain thinks like, is that what the symbiote's here doing? Like it somehow like like it overtakes the natural. Let me put it this way: if if Jadzia is a woman, therefore she has a womb, and like when they put the symbiote in her, it's in the place where like a, a human woman's womb would be. But like you know, men don't have that. So like, uh. is it like? Like in a space, kind of like there, but it, like that means it replaces Jadzia's natural ability as a trill to like produce more trill, like as like the humanoid part, and now she can only uh, reproduce the symbiote part. That's my brain doesn't want to think about it too much, but that's yeah, what my I'm brain is say, been. I'm gonna say stop, <laughs> like, don't. Um, but the parasite <laughs> idea that you were talking about did remind me of an episode of the X Files I remember watching, in which this mutated creature from I. I believe it was like a Chernobyl experiment or something like that was attacking people and essentially doing that. It was forcing their bodies to produce um, its, its babies. Yes. And they would, it would like bite them and attack them and implant this thing in them. And then over a series of days as it incubated through their body, they would eventually get to the point where they would spit up this flatworm looking uh, yeah. thing that would slither down into the, the sewer depths and whatever right. else. It was quite disgusting, but yes. that was like, as soon as you said that, I just like triggered oh, that memory. I, what I'm and, thinking of, again, I haven't gone into the full detail of what I'm just talking about. There are there was a book I read in high school about parasites, and it it's horrifying what parasites can do to creatures. I'll, I'm oh, not going to say anything yeah. else, but yeah. Yeah, don't. I don't need that on my, I don't need that in my brain that's, before that's I go to bed. It's been in my brain this whole time with no. Jadzia Dax. has been like, is this thing a true, like, beneficial parasite, or is it, like, truly evil on some level? <laughs> well, again, so they, they've made it to seem like, over the course of Star Trek anyway, that the true symbiont relationship is very benign and beneficial. Yes. So I'm going to eliminate any thought of uh, parasite or parasitic nature from it i'm gonna say that there is something else that we just haven't been yes. told yet oh um, yeah oh, I'm and sure. we'll just we'll just leave it at that for now yeah um but don't worry because i will tell you mild spoiler uh we get more stuff about the trill okay on. cool so all right it's great. coming um the other thing i would love to talk about are voles these yeah cardassian things this infestation that look like yeah you know six-legged rats uh, naked, furless rats yes, yeah. that have a lovely penchant for um, electronic technology uh, that are running amok on the station and causing O'Brien's newest headache. Yeah, uh, Loved that. And I have to admit that there was a time in my life when, when I was younger and watching this, I thought voles were real. So I, I thought that that was like a real thing because the way that it yeah. looked when they when – when, Jadzia pulls it out of that chute and gives it to Arjun. It's the first time we've ever seen one. And I just, I was like, that's the best, you know, like later on, I was like, that's the best dead thing I've ever seen, like dead puppet thing that I've ever seen. Now, bowls do exist. They don't look like that. Yeah, I was going to say. We, we do have bowls, 
But I'm just saying, as a kid, I thought that was real. That and creature like, itself, yeah. Right, and I had never seen a vole before, but I had heard that name, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. Voles made it all the way to space. Yeah. And then there was that thing, and I was like, wait, that's a vole? How have I never seen that on Earth before? Right. Uh, because it's not real, Perry. Duh, grow up. <laughs> that was, again... 10 year old me so yeah. you know yeah but voles, um, in real in the real in real world it looked like almost like little mice uh but with yeah tails yeah apparently. yeah little little chubby mice you not know, these would be the best almost puppy sized uh right six-legged naked cat looking <laughs> with giant eyes and teeth and yeah and they were all it was awful it and was i have awful. to say they did a great job of making that thing look as real as, as it as That's it could what I'm be. saying. That's it, what I'm saying. When they yeah. showed it to me the first time, I was like, that's real. Oh, that's yeah. That's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when um, I think it's Bashir, they, they hand it. No, they hand it to, 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 to Arjun uh, yes. when they pull it out. And the way it like its head kind of flops, I was like, dang, they did some serious work making that thing look real. <laughs> I have a distinct, like, I've. After I've watched this episode, you know, several times, and as I've gotten older, I've always felt like that was probably somebody's like Muppet, you know, like a <laughs> failed a failed Muppet that was laying around the production set somewhere on the right. Paramount lot, and someone's like, "Yeah, that thing right there." Yeah, take take well, those cute little Disney clothes off of it and <laughs> give it to us. Well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this whole this whole Vol storyline basically is just a little bit of filler content, and, and then it kind of goes away by the end. Like, it's not like there's a resolution to that part of the story. It's just we got to deal with these now. They're about to have their well, they're about to have their mating season, according to the Cardassians right. that O'Brien contacts to you know figure out if they have solutions he could use. <laughs> right. So indirectly, the voles do you know play a bigger part in our B plot of the uh, the the wormhole seaweed that gets stuck on uh, Dax and Arjun's shuttle. Right. So when they when that stuff comes back onto the station and they set up the containment field and eventually breaks through the containment field and it makes its way into one of the many, many numerous corridors. Right. It actually comes in contact with some of the voles and the vole DNA and and mixing and everything else is what starts the whole the whole process. So if it wasn't for the vole infestation, we probably never would have it would have just remained this bit of centralized energy that could have been expelled but it introduced life to it and that's what started our proto universe from forming gotcha now are you saying that that basically that the dna of the voles infested it and then therefore gave the false reading or it actively somehow jump-started life within this micro universe well they i mean they really don't say but essentially that's what i think is what happened is that this energy matrix whatever it was once it makes contact with the voles it somehow that injection of dna into this thing kind of kickstarts this universe process and that's what is giving everybody such concern later on right. because they're like, we, you know, they're showing evidence that there could be life in this thing. Right. And so if it hadn't been for that vol interaction, that probably wouldn't have been there. Right. And so it's like, we can't necessarily kill it because there it's life. Right. Um, this is not the first time that voles have come up in, in deep space nine. Um, well, they were mentioned early on in the first season, and uh, Quark was trying to, you know, set up some vol fights, 
and uh, yeah, and uh, Oda was like, "You, you can't like not at all." And he's like, "Well, I can't stop them if they happen to bring their bowls and they happen to get in some fights. I can't be held responsible." And Oda's like, "Oh yes, you could." And Cisco's standing right there, and he's like, "And you will be." It's like I, I love those two together so much. Oda and Cisco forming this like pillar you know, from which uh, Quark is strung up basically yeah, is yeah. great. Yeah, they're and, like pincers. They just come in here to grip yeah. him by the back of the neck like he does to a vole in this episode and just hold him hanging and dangling. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I also love how in this episode we see two different sides of Cisco. You know, when 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 at first the vole infestation is annoying but otherwise harmless, right. Cisco's like, yeah, Facer's on stun, Chief. Don't, don't kill him. Just, you know, move them out of the area right and then later on it's like uh take no those more. faces off stun i'm tired of this no more <laughs> mr know? nice guy yeah, yeah right yeah. <laughs> it, it, that quick he was like they done, done pissed me off they've yeah. now created a proto universe get yeah. them out of here <laughs> so it's great uh great seeing those sides of cisco how much he'll tolerate and where he right. draws the line and that was it apparently vol starting a proto universe is where he draws a line and he will now shoot it to kill on site <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, like I just mentioned, there's the moment where O'Brien calls one of the Cardassians and asks them, how did you guys take care of that? And I, I recognize, I think, at least I thought, the guy he talked with on the screen. Yes. Who was that? You should. Which one that, was that was Gully Vec, who they don't call him Gully Vec in this um, episode. However, it is Gully Vec. He has played that Cardassian officer a couple of times. Um, he was the first Cardassian that we saw, really, in the very, um, um, I believe, in the very first episode. And again, they don't call him by that name. And then we see him later on in a couple of other episodes of of Deep Space Nine as well. Okay. So that's the same Cardassian. It's just this time they did not name him. Gotcha. Um, but the, his voice is very distinctive, in my opinion. So it's yeah. like, even was, without saying his name, that's who it is. Yeah, his face, too. Yeah, and he tells O'Brien, oh, I guess Federation technology can't handle voles, huh? Maybe yeah. if you guys, uh, you know, we'll take care of them. If you guys would just evacuate Bajor, and that's when O'Brien hangs up on him. <laughs> right. You guys, you guys took over the station, so that's your problem, unless you yes. want to give it up. That's exactly what he says. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Funny little moment. Poor O'Brien just trying to do his job. <laughs> Politics. How about the, poli the political situation of the of the station? No, no, no. Shut up. <laughs> um, I do want to go back for a moment, though. Yeah. And, uh, so you had talked about uh, how Dax, uh, as the symbiote, you know, that gives a bunch of memories and lives for Jadzia mm -hmm. to memorize. And when she was talking about it with Arjun, she talks about how you have to have your own personality. You have to be strong enough to resist um, all of those other lives. Um, that is a, a, a uh, kind of minor plot point in the Dune series, which is, this is me bringing that back up. Um, in the third Dune book, uh, Children of Dune, a uh, minor spoiler is that the character Aaliyah, who is the sister of Paul from the first book, she is called an abomination because she was born right. with all of the memories of her ancestors. Mm -hmm. And in the third book in the series, she has started to lose her own, lose control of herself. She, her personality is being overwritten, uh, particularly by the character, the Baron Harkonnen, who is her mm -hmm. grandfather. And she has started letting the Baron Harkonnen personality start, uh, taking over her. And, um, mm -hmm. well, it's a minor plot, 
in the overall scheme of the series. Um, and it doesn't actually, I mean, I haven't quite finished Winds of Dune yet, but I imagine they might hint to that by the end of this book. Um, but that becomes a part of the third book because she basically becomes kind of a villain in that book because she's basically lost control of herself uh, to the Baron. So when Jadzia says you got to have a strong personality, you got to know who you are, what you want to do, otherwise you won't be able to resist the kind of siren call of those other personalities. I was like, man, they these <laughs> I wouldn't be at any bit surprised if the people who wrote this episode were fans of the Dune series and yeah, that you know, kind that's of a great point. I mean. Yeah, that's a great point. They could have been. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, these stories, uh, you know, especially with sci-fi, you know, um, the people writing Star Trek definitely grew up not just watching Star Trek, but also being influenced by a lot of different sci-fi that was, yeah. you know, around during that time. Um, you know, so a lot of these stories, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they, if you actually got a chance to speak to the writers and give them a chance to do some, uh, a deep dive, they, you'd find they were all avid fans of stories like that, of yeah. of the Dune series, of those weekly serialized fantastic tales that came out, you know, in the, you know, dime a dozen circulars, you know, that yes. were out in the 40s and 50s and whatever else, you know. This is, these are certainly not all of these are new. Right. You know, um, and I certainly don't necessarily have a problem with a recycled story so long as there's something that adds to it. Yeah. Or if they, you know, change it in a way that makes it unique. Like, you know, yes. the whole robot in, in invasion and the overtaking of technology and society, that has been done so many times. But, I mean, while there are some that are direct ripoffs, there are others that are very unique and innovative in their way of presenting that right. old idea. So it it can be done well. It's just that I feel like a lot of times, especially lately, people have gotten kind of lazy about it. Right. And that's what makes me upset about certain TV shows and movies and everything else. It's like, I, I remember this already. I don't need you to tell me a flashier new version of it. I need you to really make it new, really make it interesting. What can you tell me about this story that I have not already seen before? And that's kind right. of like to go back to my point about things like Batman and Superman. Stop telling me the origin story. <laughs> I already know that story. Right. I yeah. don't need you to tell me that another game. Now you've just, you just, all you've done, at least the, the trope these days seems to be, we're going to tell the same story. We just found a younger, harder actor or actress to play the part. <laughs> That's literally the only thing that they changed. That's it. Oh, we feel like this person is of an appropriate age and hotness to be Batman, to be right. Superman, to be Spider-Man, to be, you know, like, that's it. Well, I feel, like the, else. I feel like the thing they do is they have to make it unique and special in their own way. So the thing that stands out to me is the Jack, the Zack Snyder version of the Bruce Wayne parents being killed. And how, like, there's this shot of the gun, but the necklace that Martha Wayne is wearing the is around necklace. the gun. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense why the gun and the necklace would be like that. But the reason it's like that for the shot is the gun fires and it causes the necklace to break and the, all the pearls to scatter. So in that moment, you're like, I already know what's happening. I've already seen this scene, but you're just doing a cool kind of ridiculous shot for your version of the, of what happened. Um, yeah. Yeah. You gotta, if you're gonna like the only time you should revisit certain things like that is like the only reason I think that would have made sense to revisit that part of Batman's story was if, if, if um, Clark Kent as Superman 
had gone back and like looked at like what happened to Bruce Wayne and like he learns about it for the first time. Not for the audience's sake, for the character Clark Kent's sake in that film. That's what I've mm-hmm. I've written notes down of like what I would have done to change Batman versus Superman and that's one of my notes is that it should have been that uh, Superman like figures out Bruce's identity in part because he can see through the mask, but also because he's an intelligent reporter and he goes through all the news clippings from over the years and like, Oh, that's the moment when he lost his parents and sent him on this journey to become Batman. And like he, the character discovers it. And so therefore we, the audience can discover it with Superman, but we don't have to feel like it was being shoved down our throat like an audience member. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that was the, to me, the great feeling of that movie was definitely time. They rushed so much to get us to the infamous scene of Batman versus Superman. And this is one (laughs) of my main critiques of especially movies these days and why some of these things would really do better as TV shows. I think that's why I feel like Star Trek is a better uh, overall is a a better story than Star Wars because right. much of what we get in Star Wars is just movies. We don't really have a whole lot. Now, of course, there's there are their expanded universe stuff with the books and everything else, but Star Trek has that as well. Plus, they have all these episodes spanning decades that inform you about the characters. And so there's just so much more you can get out of a show that every week gives you a little bit more development of the characters. And that's also why I like Deep Space Nine more than any of the other ones, because it's the only one I feel like that really dove into serializing uh, their story, their concept, and giving right. it to us. Now, they've been a little bit slow right now, but again, we are in the second season, and we've already seen some breadcrumbs, some Easter eggs. We have we talked about last week, we heard yet again about the Dominion, and we still haven't seen that come up, but they've already been planting the seeds as early as season two for something that's going to be majorly impactful on this story, and I, I love that, and I think that that Batman-Superman thing would have done much better as like a an Amazon HBO special, like a oh, a, ten, a ten episode miniseries. Well, I mean, what they did was is they tried rushing the Avengers movie. You know, where the Avengers it was the sixth movie after having yeah. built up all the other individual characters, and then as a team up movie, they were like, "No, we're gonna do the team up movie three movies in," and mm-hmm. and the halfway point movie two is two of them going to a death match. It's like. The death match between Iron Man and Captain America, you know, Captain America Civil War was like the twelfth movie, you know, it was yeah. around the same time. That and, was that yeah. was DC trying to hone in on I money. Know. They did not care about story. I know. They were there was so a there was a I feel like there was a concern that this enthusiasm for comic book characters was gonna go away. Right. And that they wanted to get their piece of that action right. before that happened. Right. So the rush of the storylines and the rush of the movies, it it all it showed. Yeah. It showed. Right. And it was just like you you guys you did you were so focused on your BS origin stories that then when it came time to really get into this other stuff, you you had nothing. You couldn't really do anything. Marvel is unique in the sense that I feel like they were just they were dedicated. They laid out their plan. They're like, we don't care. High or low. This is the story that we want to tell, and we're going to do it. And then I feel like now they're suffering because they developed so much for everything from first Iron Man to Endgame. Yeah. That now coming out of it, they were like, oh, crap. <laughs> we weren't expecting this to be as successful as it was. 
And now we have not spent nearly as much time planning our next phase yeah. as we did our first phase. Oh, yeah. And so uh, that's, why, that's yeah. why these new movies are like, it's okay, but it's not as good. You're, you're wanting to still live off the fanfare you built from the other stuff, yeah. but they're not investing the time oh, yeah. in it the way they did the other movies that came in that block of movies. Again, from Iron Man, the first Iron Man to Endgame. All oh, the movies I... that came out during that. Yeah. Yeah. And I still yeah. want to say, just as we're talking about it, the Iron, the first Iron Man film, in my opinion, is still the best Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. It has the best story because it's the best character redemption arc. It's about a man growing and changing and becoming better. The other episode, the other movies in the series, there are some good ones for sure, don't be wrong. But in terms of straight up storytelling, the first Iron Man is still my favorite for its its pure storytelling, yeah. And I'm going to also give a I I say that like I have some kind of official power, but I give <laughs> a lot of credit to Robert Downey Jr. for that because oh, the man 100%. the man lived the redemption arc like oh, he, did. he really did. If you know anything about his overall personal backstory, which you know I say personal, but a lot of it was very public. Yeah, you know he had a promising career. He always seemed to be very promising, and then he's had his he's had his exploits, his blow ups, his flame outs, and all the other kind of stuff, and then. You know, he just turned it around, and he yeah. became so much better. And he, I mean, he was he was the perfect choice for turn, Tony Stark because yes. he lived it. He yeah. lived that kind of redemption arc, and it yes. was yeah, perfect casting. And oh, that really, really helped sell. Yes, the rest. I I would say the, the you know, MCU any other is, order- is is drifting on his. Charisma, personality, and yeah. success. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I, any other actor cast as Tony Stark, I don't think that it would have worked. I know yeah. that they've always, you know, there's been this whole thing about Tom Cruise. Yeah. I was going to say. The rest. Yep. I don't think that Tom Cruise would have been able to pull it off. I'm not necessarily right. trying to say what kind of actor, you know, Tom Cruise, good, bad, how yeah, you yeah. feel about him or whatever. I just don't think that he would have done it as that's well. That's not his character. His character yeah, is, not is the Ethan Hunt from the Mission Impossible movies. That's, yeah. that's great for him. But yeah, no, he wouldn't have been able to pull off. I mean, he could have done a good job on some level, but he, yeah, you're totally right. Robert Downey Jr. fit the character so well. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, we're talking about we're talk, supposed to be talking about Star Trek. We have hey, gone we can off talk on about a, everything. We, we can, can talk about everything. We can talk about everything because it all works. Um, yeah. Not really sure how we got to Robert Downey Jr. from John Zia Dax, but I'll take it. We got there. We'll have to listen to this episode again and follow our th- train of thought. Um, um, so yeah, let's talk real quickly about uh, Quark. Uh, and his little conversation with uh, Arjun, the, the rule was it one twelve? Don't sleep with the boss's daughter. Don't sleep with the boss's sister. <laughs> oh, sister! That's right. Don't that's sleep right. with the boss's sister. That's right. That's what it was. Um, yeah. It, what does he say to? Ar- he says to Arjun, basically, you have one shot, and if you lose yes. it, you'll never get it back. Look at me. I'm here tending bars out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I had a chance to be great when I s- served a sub. Um, Subnagus. Subnagus. He served the Subnagus. Yeah. He had a great position serving the Subnagus, and then he slept with the uh, he slept with his boss's sister yeah. and lost everything. And now he <laughs> tends bar. And he's just basically telling him, "Yeah, you have one shot in life. You get one golden opportunity, and you got to take it. Don't be distracted. Don't right. let anything come up that will diminish your your shot. Because right. once it's gone, it's gone. Right. Yeah." And then the other moment in this episode, which we haven't talked about, is when Cisco goes to talk to Jake. 
Yes, of course we were going to talk about it. You know yes. I wasn't going to let us end without talking about the Cisco. Well, you, you go ahead and tell it then. I didn't, I didn't uh, mention it in my recap. What happened uh, to that little no. scene? <laughs> so, you know, Cisco, Ben, of course, Cisco Sr., is yeah. uh, he's all conflicted about what to do about possibly destroying this uh, this proto universe yeah so he goes to see his son because i and i love that like when he's got a hard moment and he can't really decide as commander his yeah. break is to go and be a father so yes. he goes and he visits with his son and jake has his own problem completely oblivious to the life or death situation <laughs> the station could be focusing on could be yeah. facing right now right he is lost in his own world because he's in love he's got a crush and he Thinks that O'Brien has told his dad, and O'Brien, of course, has told him nothing. So this leads to a little bit of a misunderstanding between the two of them until finally it's revealed that that's what the situation is. Jake, our great student, but terrible fashion sense. Jake (laughs) is tutoring uh, this young lady in entomology, and over the course of their tutoring sessions, he has developed feelings for her, and he really wants his dad to meet her. But there's a catch. She's not just any old girl from Jake's class. She is one of the Dabo girls who works in Quarks. And if you know anything about the Dabo girls that work in Quarks, there's more to it than just turning that wheel. If you catch my drift. <laughs> this so, episode is very interesting overall. Yes, it this is. is a, this is one episode. Keep going. Sorry. Keep so, going. so Ben, uh, at first trying to be understanding, upon hearing this, is like, you're you're she's a what like he's completely (laughs) shocked he wants to know how old is she like all this stuff about her so um so jake wants them to eventually meet uh he wanted to bring her over that night but cisco's like not right now and it's probably because he's like there's a lot going on right now (laughs) and i i don't have time to focus on this but soon he's like i do want to meet her don't get me wrong i do want to meet her but not now soon and it's another realization that his son is growing up his son is having these different experiences and everything else and it's just such a great home moment like it really takes you out of the rest of the storylines that are going on the way that they interact with each other and it's just so and it's so quick it's almost a shame that it's over so quickly because they were they're great they're just so great i love watching them so much and he was just like it's Marta, isn't it? Which shows that even without his son, you know, telling him all about it, yeah. he still is in tuned enough. He still knows what's going on with his kid and everything else. And he's like, "You, it's Marta, the 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 girl you're tutoring." Yeah. So, and then he gives him his whole speech. She doesn't want to be called girl. She hates when people call her girl because. Yeah. She's a Dabo girl. Right. So she doesn't She's like a that woman. Term. That's what he says. Yeah. Like, I've met a, the perfect woman. She's a great, you know, it's just something about yes. a woman, woman, woman. She's a woman. Yeah. He makes that statement a lot. Now, keep in mind, from what we know from previous episodes, I think like two episodes ago, we know that Jake is at least 15 years old. Okay? I was going to ask, what's his age again? Yeah. 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 So Jake is about 15. Um, We're not sure how close he is to 16. Not that that really matters. We know he's at least 15 years old. And so now he's interested in this woman who apparently they've already been close enough and intimate enough that he's ready for her to meet the old man. So uh, I'm interested to see Marta as well and uh, find out a little bit more about her. Oh, Uh, are you hinting that we are or? Oh yeah. I guess mild spoiler. We do get to to meet Marta and I know there's going to be questions. I know there's going to be comments because there's just so much about her that while we get a lot, there's still some things we just we don't learn that some people, especially us as humans, we were we, those these would be questions we would all 
wish we got answers to, but we don't. So oh, Perry, I have so That's many it. questions, and they are not good questions. Oh. <laughs> if I was his father, I'd be like, hell no. We are not having him over for dinner, and you're going to stop tutoring her right now. <laughs> so I, I will say two things. The first time watching this episode years ago, I was like, way to go, Jake. <laughs> Later on in life watching this episode, I was like, Ben, you got to shut that all the way down, man. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta... It's amazing what perspective does to your your version it, of things. I have to admit, this has been the most interesting Trek rewatch I've ever had because I because this is the first time for me watching it now, straight through one on the uh, uh, yeah straight through and on the other side of it. Like before, when I watched this, these characters were all older than me. Yeah. You know, even Jake. You know, Jake was uh, when I first started watching this. Uh, like I said, like Jake was fifteen. I think I was like nine or ten. Right. And yeah. then, uh, and that now sense, here yeah. I am. Yeah, and now here I am, and I'm now, and I recently found out I'm the same age that Cisco was when he took over Deep Space Nine. He was 36. Is that yeah, correct? yeah? Man, I don't know. I guess I just I look at uh, look at um, what's his face? Um, Avery Brooks. Yeah, Avery Brooks, and he just comes off to me as like at least 40. But so so to that, I will say the character Benjamin Cisco. Was thirty six. Okay. Avery Brooks, I believe, was forty one. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Okay. So, I know that Picard. Same thing. There, it's a different same age thing. than yeah. the, than um, uh, what's his name, Sir um, Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah. There we go. There it is. Um, <laughs> Jean Luc Picard was supposed was supposed to be, I believe, fifty nine when he took over the Enterprise, and then. Uh, uh, Patrick Stewart, I believe, was forty-six, right? Forty-five, forty-six when he um, when he actually got the role. So yeah, he was playing a much older man, right? Than he was. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> final <laughs> thoughts on this fantastically fun episode that oh. has a lot of unexpected uh, twists and turns. Yeah, I, I guess the best summary of the episode is that um, we finally got to see more of Jazia Dax. This was finally an episode mainly centered on her. Um, and we got to see the more outgoing, kind of edgy version of the character. We've seen elements of her. We've seen the sweet Jadzia uh, the playful Jadzi at times, but this is the first time where we got to see really behind the curtain of who she is. And uh, I, I, you've told me how much you like her as a character. We're gonna see more All of her. Right, we're gonna we're gonna find out how it is that Worf, uh, when he comes to the station, how they end up becoming married. So, yeah, yes. I look forward to seeing more of that. Um, this this certainly gives us that that you know that insight into what that will look like. So, yes. um, yeah. And I, I guess I'll just say it now. She was the best character, the best, best part of the episode. Um, so yeah, she certainly was. Uh, this is one Terry of those, Farrell. again, uh, Jetsia Dax, Terry Farrell, giving us a lot here. Um, she is the standout. I believe that we do see all the characters in this episode, which, you know, kind of a, you know, great to see since the last couple episodes we really were lacking a couple of key officers but i mean we saw bashir in the beginning we see uh quark a couple of times we even get odo in there and kira and so forth odo gives a very great speech about you know the treatment of life and just because you don't understand the life doesn't mean you have a right to destroy it a uh, great moment for him but still at the same time dax is definitely our standout here from 
like the entire way through. Everything we learned about her, the way she plays everything off, it was really great. And Terry Farrell just really delivers on this kind of unassuming character and the natural way that which she goes about her life. Everything about her makes like when she's presenting stuff to you, it doesn't come off as weird or quirky or whatever. It it just fits. Right. And I really like that about uh, her portrayal of Jadzia Dax. Right. Um, and of course, the Cisco's are always going to be uh, one of my delights. I just wish that Jake would get a fashion sense. Man, those colors just—it's killing me. Uh, <laughs> he looks like he's wearing, like he's ready to go to the hospital. Um, so yeah, I just, yeah, I'm ready for that to change. Yeah. Um, quick updates, as always, in regards to other Trek shows, news, and so forth. So I did say that next week I would see if we had any more movement on a potential movie, a movie, a new Star Trek movie. Um, that does not seem to be the case at this time anymore. There's still the same talk. Nothing has changed in that regard. Seems like most focus now is on TV shows. So Strange New Worlds, as you know, as you should know by now, is out. It's the newest Trek show. Episode 3, just dropped and it was fantastic. I, 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 in a weird way, I hate it when new shows have such great episodes so early on. Um, <laughs> but as a third episode of a brand new show, their first season, I just I thought it was great. The humor was great. The seriousness of the of the drama that they gave you was great. The action, all of it, it was a great story. I, I really don't know how they're going to be able to top themselves in the coming episodes. I just, I thought it was that good, that perfect of an episode. So gotcha. if you haven't watched it, go watch it. I think that you'll be impressed with what they're doing on this show. There is talk of uh, developing another Star Trek show, which will feature some of the characters from Star Trek Picard, which just recently ended its third season, and giving them their own potential spinoff. However, we still have to have the third and final season of Picard to air. There's still the Section 31 show that is so deep in talks that you know whether or not that's actually going to happen or not we don't know i know the main star of that show has been doing a lot of movies lately so that may be keeping them from really beginning any kind of production right um uh again there's still, like i said there's that movie rumor about the the reboot abrams uh original series cast coming and doing another movie but so far it just seems like shows are where it's at they're just trying to really fill up that and give us a continuous stream of new Trek. But I think it's a great time right now because regardless of what you like, there is so much Star Trek to watch right now, more than there has ever been. You can watch the original series, the animated series, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, uh, Discovery, Lower Decks, Prodigy, Picard, and now Strange New Worlds. Like, just... There's just so much. Right. So there is literally something for everyone at this point. So if you have not subscribed to Paramount Plus yet, you really should do so. And just just take a day and just kind of skip around and find stuff. And I'm sure you'll find something that you enjoy. But that's all I have for you guys in regards to any Trek updates. And one last note, I'm still not watching Halo. Not going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm on that camp now. Not going to watch it. Gotcha. But, as always, this is The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. You can catch us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. 
Um, and then, of course, you can also catch us on, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook as well. So leave your comments, questions, concerns there, and I promise we'll get to you as soon as we can. Until next week, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.